Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. I'm your host, Real Gerald Quinn, on this 12th of July, 2022. Hope everybody out there is having a great summer, great week. Um, for sports, you know, for the sports fans, this is a dead period of the sports uh, calendar, to be honest, to be perfectly honest with you, unless you're somebody who just watches baseball every day. And I, there are those people out there that watch baseball every day, and especially if you're connected to your team, what have you, there, there are those people out there, fans out there, they are. But for the casual sportsman, this is a time where you can kind of like tap out from the sports world. Um, things are starting to slow down with the NBA a little bit. You know, we who knows what's going to happen. We'll talk more about you know Durant and some of these and Donovan Mitchell and some guys that could possibly be moved, but it, those moves might not happen until October, for all we know. So things are are going to slow down, like are slowing down, like this week and next week. And again, you'll see, you'll notice a lot of your favorite sports radio sh- talk show hosts or television guys. You'll notice that some of those guys are, are taking vacations or you know, will be on vacation. Uh, not all of them, but there'll be some of them because, you know, they're basically, you know, you're a couple, a couple weeks from training camp for the most part. For most training camps, you got some training camps starting next week, but most of the training camps don't start till the week after next. So that that is where we are at. Plus, no World Cup until November. So we, you know, we would have been able to chew on that. But um, this is, again, this is the, especially when, you know, you're going to get that night where it's All-Star Weekend. For the uh, Major League Baseball, that those two days, those couple of days, will be a real dead time for the sports calendar. But you know what's not dead? The NBA and just the theatrics and shenanigans that come with the Brooklyn Nets and Los Angeles Lakers. They are the gifts that keep on giving. So this weekend, a big deal was made about the uh, the NBA Summer League Lakers. Um, you had a number of Lakers in attendance in the Vegas Summer League. And according to many reports and, you know, some video, some video uh, Russell Westbrook and LeBron James did not communicate, visually didn't communicate. Now, we don't know what happened, you know, off, you know, when they were not recording. Who knows? But visually, on video, the time that they were there, and it was recorded on on you know that it went and goes viral. There they were sitting across from each other. Um, LeBron was doing his own thing. Westbrook was sitting close to the Laker bench, and there were there was no no seemingly no communication between the two of them. You saw Westbrook, you know, try to go in and help coach up the guys. I, you know, sure, like whatever. I like that. I don't know what those. Probably ninety percent of guys, ninety percent of those guys probably would, would not even be on the team. But anyway, um, but so you saw him there, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna kind of defend Westbrook a little bit because, well, I'm not not all the way, but somewhat I'm gonna defend Westbrook. Westbrook knows that he's trying that they're trying to trade him, right? Like that that so that is. They are in their worst way trying to trade Russell Westbrook for uh, for Kyrie Irving. We know this. They, I mean, we've seen you know clips of Marks and Rob Palinka, you know, at the summer league talking. 
So, like, so they they they've been in been in communication. Uh, LeBron wants Kyrie. Make no mistake about it. Um, LeBron will trade. You know, his first cousin. LeBron will trade anybody to improve the team. Like that's how LeBron has moved throughout his whole course of his career, especially after you know when he started winning championships. Like you know that year, but seventeen eighteen when Dwayne Wade was on the team and it didn't work out in the first half and LeBron traded about half the roster and got the, as they, and they got a little, they got younger, more athletic and ended up getting to the finals. So LeBron doesn't care about, you know, friendships and what have you and, or perceived friendships. That, that's the big thing here. Like, I think we get this perception of, we get a false re- perception of how close some of these guys are. And in this world of social media, in this Twitter, Instagram, they're, uh, there's a world that just that we see these pictures and you know you see I think last summer Anthony Davis got married and you know LeBron you know picks up I you know picked up Russell Westbrook in, in the mall back in the new mall back I believe it was either Bentley or mall back I think I want to say it was a mall back and, and and drove him to the wedding and oh they good they, these they, these guys are tight and but when it comes down to stuff like this when when it comes down to business LeBron is is a straight businessman. Period. Like he doesn't, he he has no emotion when it comes to business, especially if he can improve the team and help and help them get into contention status. Now, I think they get Kyrie Irving. They're not a contender to me. They they're an interesting team and they're a better team, but they're not a contender. It's my opinion. But if you're LeBron James, you know what? It, you know what else is the other? What what is the other move? Um, the only way that they can upgrade the roster is by trading Russell Westbrook. Period. It would be it would be addition by subtraction, in a ways. Now the Westbrook stand the Westbrook the Westbrook part of this now Westbrook has been in the game a long time. This is going to be his what fifteenth year, I believe. Yeah, I believe year fifteen for Westbrook, which is remarkable when you think about it. He understands the game. He's been around a long time. He's seen a lot. He's seen a lot of things, trades, what have you. He's been traded a number of times. He he understands that part of it. But there's a part of Westbrook that. When it comes to things like this, can get a look, can get kind of sensitive. Um, you know, Kevin Durant leaving him for what for uh, Steph Curry, whether or not he wants to publicly admit it, bothered him, in my opinion. It buys no question that like they couldn't. I mean, you wouldn't be a human being like you. You you know there was again that was and I'll go back to that. There's another. There's another. There's a perception that those guys were close. You hear Kendrick Perkins a couple of weeks ago, who was on the team who played with both of them. They actually were not, in, in his words, they actually were not that close. They didn't hate each other, but they were not as close as what as what we fans thought they were. And Perkins said that in, in, a, in a, on the podcast. So I don't know how, just how close Westbrook and LeBron are. Um, you've heard LeBron speak up for Westbrook. Over the course of the year, he's he hasn't thrown them over under the bus at any time. Um, but LeBron, you gotta watch LeBron in terms of how LeBron moves. It's about LeBron's actions, not so much what he says, but what he does. LeBron will let you let, let you know in terms of what how he's gonna move with his actions. Period. But I get Westbrook, you know, from a standpoint of, you know, you have to you have to listen to Darvin Ham and. This grand plan, knowing fully well, and Darvin Ham is aware of this too, knowing fully well that they're trying to move him. 
that would somewhat bother me a little bit if I'm if I'm Westbrook. If I'm if I'm here, you know, the team loves me, blah blah blah, so on and so on. The coach, new coach, respects me. I'm one, you know, one great. Russ is one of the best players ever, and all this. You kind of start thinking that it's kind of fake. I'm not saying, and I'm not saying calling Darvin a fraud. He's he's saying exactly what he has to say, just in case Russell Westbrook is on the roster come opening night, which is a possibility. I don't think he will be, but that is a possibility. You have to think about that as a rookie head coach um, trying to get the best out of um, the roster, the roster that you uh, have inherited, inherited, and, uh, and with some of the changes that they've made. I know they, they've gotten a little bit younger. They've made some decent moves. I'm not going no, nothing earth shattering, but they made, they've gotten a little younger. But you know, they they are a right now they would be a fighting for. They would be like a, a eighth seed. Possibly, possibly, right now with the current roster, eighth and seventh seed, possibly. But you know, they get Kyrie Irving, maybe that bumps up to like a, a sixth or a fifth seed pot, maybe if everything goes right uh, with Kyrie and he actually plays basketball. But the bottom line is, again, we don't know what just how close these guys are. We just don't. It's impossible to know. And again, the Lakers are going out of their way to move Russell Westbrook. They are trying their, their damnness to move him, period. And he knows this. And he knows it. So we'll see what happens. Um, there are a lot of signs that point to that this deal will get, that this deal is going to, is going to happen. Uh, and, and, you know, you got two teams that badly, in the worst way, want those guys off their team. The Brooklyn wants Kyrie Irving off the team in the worst way. And the Los Angeles Lakers want wants Russell Westbrook off the team in the worst way. Going around the NBA, a couple of things that, that transpired over the course of the weekend, even even at the end of last weekend, last week, that I didn't get a chance to touch on in, in the previous podcast. So Damian Lillard signs his extension, um, $122 million, two years. On top of the con, you know, basically on top of the contract that he already had, uh, which he signed a couple of years ago, I didn't get the exact total to that. Um, I could look it up, but uh, it's a lot of this is a hell of a lot of money. So Lillard, as you see here, is going to make fifty eight million in twenty twenty five. At that point, he will be thirty six years old. He will make sixty three million in twenty six twenty seven season, and at that point, he'll be thirty seven. His guaranteed earning, his career earnings, this is minus endorsements and what have you, is, is going to come out to $450 million, and he cannot be traded until next July. So he's going to be a Portland Trailblazer this year, period. Um, I don't have a problem with Damian Lillard, per se, um, in terms of him staying in Portland and wanting to win a championship in Portland and not chasing the ring, not jumping on someone else's coattail. I have zero problem with that. There's enough of that going around in the, in, in the NBA. But let's not kid ourselves. Damian Lillard, yeah, sure, he would love to win a championship in Portland, but he is getting paid. Like, I mean, he's already signed a super, one Supermax. This is a max extension. Don't let the, Do not be fooled by the amount of money that is involved with this, and that contributed contributed to him staying in Portland. Please, and by the way, when you've gotten to that level where you're a perennial All Star, where you've been All NBA, where you have uh, been in MVP conversations, where you are going to the Hall of Fame, top seventy five, you have every right, every right 
to chase every dollar imaginable to get every dollar period you have every single i don't i, I don't i'm not knocking a player at all for taking the money from that standpoint i just don't want to hear any any if the team under the cheese or if the team's ain't good i just don't want to hear damian lillard i i don't want to hear him make a trade demand that's all like i, I don't now you you are 10 toes down in portland you said, you know, your family, you love your family. He recently got married, last, I think last summer, has, has some kids. He's, you know, loves the community. So you are 10 toes down in Portland. If I count fingers, 20 down, 10 toes and 10 fingers down in Portland, that's where you probably, not definitely, but probably will end your career. So, I, so again, if the team comes out and they've made some moves, Portland should be improved next year, but they're not a title contender. We know that. They made some nice. Now they've made some nice moves. We like Simons, uh, Jelani uh, Grant was a uh, was a good trade for them. Uh, getting him, uh, they made a couple other moves, and so they've upgraded the roster. The, the roster is a much better roster than than than, what, than, uh, than it was this time last year. But they are, you know, a middle of the pack, end of the, you know, they in that six to eight range. I think they, I, you know, I don't think they'll be in the play in. But then in that in that seven maybe even seven to ten range they might be threatening for a play and who knows they might be in, 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 depending on how many guys come back healthy in the Western Conference they could be fighting for a play in or fighting for a play in but they they should probably get to the playoffs maybe they'll maybe they'll make the playoffs especially if Lillard, if Lillard comes back and, be, and if he's Damian Lillard then they probably they will be in the playoffs remember last year he didn't play a lot with the uh, the the uh, injury. But um, I need us as a sports, especially as a NBA community, to keep the same energy for Damian Lillard as we did with Carmelo Anthony. For years, when Carmelo Anthony took the money, when he could have, you know, made other moves to, you know, go on title contenders until late in his career, we criticized Carmelo saying, you know, how committed is he to winning? He just cares about the money. And we pounded Carmelo Anthony on that. Well, you need to hear that same energy for, in terms of Damian Lillard because Damian Lillard is clearly taking the money. Period. There's the hard he is take. It's not just about being important. He's getting paid mega dollars. Like this, like that. That is a super. That is a super max extension. Two years, two one hundred and twenty-two million dollars is a super max extension. And the only reason he didn't get more is because he hasn't been all in. He wasn't all NBA last year. So he he is getting as much money as you can possibly get, almost as, as you can possibly get, all things considered. And more again, more power to him, more power to him. I'm a I'm a Lillard fan. We know what type of player he is. I'm not calling. He I, again, we there are only about four superstars. I'm not. He's a notch below superstar. He's a franchise player. He's an all star. He'll be in the Hall of Fame. Not a, not a superstar. Let's not get that twisted. Let's not get twisted. Get it twisted in terms of that. But a notch below. But again, you know, he has a right to get his money. He's getting, he's definitely getting his money. It sounds like he will be in Portland. Um, sounds like he's gonna. It, it looks like that. You know, he's gonna finish his career with the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Bradley, we talked about Bradley Bill's contract last podcast, and just you know, it was under one of our head scratching. Uh, contracts, you know, we went through that. So a detail came out, I think a day later, that 
Bill, not only does he, did he get did he get the supermax, got the five years, two hundred fifty one million. He is one of only nine players in the history of the sport to get a uh, no trade clause in his contract, meaning he dictates if he chooses to go, he will dictate where he's going. Not the teams that want to trade for him, not the Washington Wizards, but Bradley Bill. Now, again, some of the players, it is the list of, of players with no trade clauses is very, it, it is short. There was a time when the late Kobe Bryant was in the league where he was the only player in the league with a no trade clause. Maybe it was him and Dirt and the Whiskey, something like, yeah. That is, it is a exclusive, it is a list of, a, like, of, of all-time great, some immortal players who have had no trade clauses. Bradley Bill, very good player, has been an all-star. Is doesn't there's no way in the world that Bradley Bill should have that kind of power. It's just like there's no like you if you're the Washington Wizards, it's like the two hundred fifty million, two hundred fifty one million, two hundred fifty one million wasn't enough. Like, like again, if Bradley Bill would have been on the All NBA team, he would have got the Jokic match. He would have got the same, the same contract as Jokic. Five years have been five years, two sixty four with it, with a chance to be up up and you know to, to, uh, with a chance to be three hundred million with every if he you know with some incentives and things of that nature. So he was just I mean again he just he didn't qualify for the super super max, but he he is right that is as close to a super max without being a super max as you will get. For a con for a five year contract, making thirty five percent of the team cap space. Of course, he's been with the team longer. You know, been with the team for his entire career. Um, listen, I just look. You you know how I feel about this. That I would have signed and traded Bradley Bill, and just and then start the rebuilding process because you. The team that they're putting on the floor is not going to be that much better than the team than a team without Bradley Bill. It's just that Bradley Bill does not impact winning at that level to where you can put him on any team. That team is a contender. Like no, like Bradley Bill. You know, certain places he could be the second. He could Bradley Bill be the second best player on the on the championship team? I want to say in today's NBA, no. I would say Bradley Bill in an ideal situation. I think. Would you would want him to be a third best player? To be perfectly honest with you, as I'm looking across the league at the the, the, the teams who I think are legit contenders, legitimate contenders. So, you know, he I would say, yeah, you put him on the Celtics, he's their third best player. The Bucks, he would be their their third best player. If I switch him for Milton, so the, the teams that can actually win the chip, win the chip, maybe with the exception, maybe I. And by the way, I, even with Golden State, I wouldn't trade badly. I, and I've said this during the finals, and I'll say this. I'll say this now. I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't move Bradley Bill for trade for Bradley Bill for Andrew Wiggins. No way. There's no way. Right now, I'd rather have Andrew Wiggins on my team than Bradley Bill. Period. So the idea of giving him a no trade clause, you know, again, if you're Bradley Bill, of course you're going to take that. Of course, you're going to take the no trade clause. Of course, who doesn't, who, what employee wouldn't want somewhat a form of absolute power? Like, yeah, he's someone's, you know, his contracts are being signed by ownership, but 
he has, I mean, like, he controls that locker room in essence. So, again, I I don't, like, I do get it because this is, this is how the Wizards move. The Wizards are moving like a team that is just happy that Bradley Bill is willing, wants to play for him. So let's do everything to please and keep him just to be, what, a first-round playoff exit or a play-in team. One guy that won't that doesn't have a no trade clause uh, and that could be moved um, before the season, Donovan Mitchell. So t- today it comes out that the Jazz are opening are open to hearing offers on Donovan Mitchell when previously they said that uh, you know they were tr- they're going to use the trade assets that they got from Gobert and what have you to draft capital to rebuild. Around Mitchell, who's still only 25 years old, been a multi-time All-Star. Uh, still, we still haven't seen the best of Donovan Mitchell. Here, here's the thing: like, first of all, it was one of the worst kept secrets. There, there was no way. Like, if you if you watched how Danny Ainge moves, you know that he go he doesn't do half rebuilds. He goes all he he is he's he heater is trying to win the championship. Hence. The Kevin, uh, getting Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, or he's completely trying to rebuild the rebuild the team with henceforth 2013 when he trades Kevin Durant, not Durant, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce with the, with, the, with the Nets, which sets them basically up, sets them up for the next decade, getting Bill to get Jason Tatum and also uh, Jalen Brown. That's how that's how Danny Ainge works. There's no half measures. There's no in between with Danny Ainge. Donovan Mitchell is going to get moved. Now, there are a number of teams that will inquire about Donovan Mitchell. There are a number of teams, we you know, the Knicks and what have you. The question is, we I still think Donovan Mitchell can go to another level. Like I think, I still think there is a version of Donovan. There's a version of Donovan Mitchell that we have not seen yet. A guy who can, who has the type of athleticism where he could be a a a, a, de- a very good defensive player, where he could be a more efficient offensive player with better shot selection. Um, he has been feast of famine in the playoffs. We've had, you know, as a rookie, outplays Paul George and and Russell Westbrook. Okay, who are com- who are coming off great years, and they upset uh, Oklahoma City when Oklahoma City was favored in that series. The, the duel he had against Jamal Murray in the bubble a couple years ago where he was phenomenal. They blew 3-1 lead, but it wasn't, wasn't his fault. Um, the defense, of course, fell apart. Uh, he's also had some playoffs last year against Houston where you forgot he was even on the court. Um, but, again, the potential is still there for him to be uh, a franchise-type player. I don't know if he'll ever reach superstar status. I like. I don't know if Don. I think Donovan Mitchell's ceiling is he could be going to the right place. He could be the second best player on a championship team if he's developed. If he's developed uh, correctly, if he puts, you know, again, his work ethic has never been the question. But if he in the right culture, he could be the second best player. I feel like on the championship team. Now there are two teams who can trade for him, who I feel like would bring the best out of Donovan Mitchell. One, the Miami Heat. We know about Heat culture. He he can go there, and immediately he probably would be that 
he can go there and be their second option behind Jimmy Butler in essence. He would be their third best player because Bam, I, I think overall Bam Adebayo is a better player than him uh, with what Bam brings defensively. And of course, but you know, Butler, Bam, and then Donovan Mitchell, immediately, immediately they will be instant title contenders. He would develop in terms of, I, I think that they would develop his game. We know that he developed players who we never even heard of to become rotation players. So you can take a play. You take a player of his magnitude, of his caliber. Uh, there's no telling how. There's no telling what would happen, of how far he would go, playing with the Miami Heat. That's number one. That would be the number one. Number one place I think we could see the best of Donovan Mitchell. Two, I would say the Toronto Raptors. Again, another team that has a culture, a championship culture, a great coaching. I mean, it's not. This is not a coincidence that coincidence that Spolstra and Nick Nurse are probably two of the three best coaches in the league. I can make a case the two best coaches in the league because make a strong case that those guys, like those guys, are great coaches, creative, uh, innovative, um, and those cultures are strong cultures. And again, he probably would be until Scotty Barnes really emerges. He'd be the second best player behind Siakam. So, now by the way. I'm, there's zero chance. They you will, you know, it came out today that Toronto is not willing to give up Scotty Barnes for Kevin Durant. So they there would be a zero chance that they would give up Scotty Barnes for Donovan Mitchell. It just wouldn't happen. Uh, they they have enough assets with draft picks and enough young talent to where they, I believe they can get Donovan Mitchell without giving up Scotty Barnes. Like they and Lobi Boucher draft picks. Uh, they have enough. They like they 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 are loaded with um, they are loaded with young talent, versatile players, uh, guys that are really built for how the game is played uh, in twenty twenty two. Those are on, those are the only two teams that I saw that would be perfect fit, fits for him, in in terms of his game and his development and um, his game and his development. And with championship coaches, perfect. I don't like him, and I don't want to see him with the Knicks. I don't want to see him. I mean, those I mean, some other places. I haven't heard too many other places, but the Knicks would be that'd be a disaster. It'd be a disaster. That that no, like yeah, he probably would average thirty, and the team would struggle to make the playoffs. Like that, like that, that the Knicks, he, the Knicks are not bringing out the best in Donovan Mitchell, and I don't think he's going to end up with the Knicks. To be honest with you, so I actually, I, I think, I think, ideal, probably going to be Miami. I don't think Miami has the assets to get Kevin Durant. I just don't. They just don't have. They don't just don't have enough. Especially as in comparisons to Phoenix and Toronto, they don't. So I think that um, I see Mitchell uh, probably going to Miami more than likely. Or don't be again. Don't be surprised if Toronto comes out out of the blue uh, and snatches him up. Like uh, they, you know, we saw what they did with Kawhi. They're not afraid to make it. They're not afraid to to make big moves. They're not, you know, there's a friend. They are a franchise that are constantly looking to. Uh, they're looking to contend this to uh, contend this year. So we're going to continue our series. Um, we had a series. With uh, the 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 top contenders, Super Bowl contenders schedule schedules, uh, we did Tampa, we did Green Bay, 
um, Tampa. I think we did. We did Tampa, Green Bay, Kansas City, the Rams. So we did those teams. Next up, now you can argue whether they're contenders or not. I think they are championship contenders with the roster they have. Uh, we're going to look at the Los Angeles Chargers and go um, week by week. And I'll just give you the – well, I, I had the record on there, but I'm going to give you uh, the week by week and where I think, where I think they're going to fall. So they have the 10th toughest schedule in the league. They're non-divisional games. They have tennis host Tennessee at San Francisco at Arizona, host Miami at Indy uh, at the Rams. They are projected to win 10 games, so they're projected to be a, to be a playoff team. And week one, so week one, they will host the Las Vegas Raiders. We know what the Raiders added in the offseason with Devontae Adams and some other talent as well. Divisional game, week one, I, I'll take them with a win in week one at their at their home stadium. So I have them as at one and O. Oh. Week two, short week, Thursday night game, prime bit on, on Amazon Prime. It'll be the first of their coverage as they take over the Thursday night coverage this year. They will be at Kansas City at Arrowhead. I had that as a loss because it's a short week. Not saying they're not as good as Kansas City. They are as good as Kansas City, but I have that as a loss because this is a short week, um, especially the road team. Like you know, coming off of a probably an emotional, uh, an emotional um, division game in a short week that adds to me up to be a loss after uh, to, to even their record to one on one after two weeks. Week three, they host the Jaguars, so I, the Jaguars will be improved. But it won't matter. They still are, are still a bad football team. I'll take the I'll take the Chargers uh, to be two and one uh, after three weeks against the Jaguars. Week four, they go to travel to Houston, play take on the Texans again. I like I like. There are a lot of weak sisters. There are a lot number of weeks. There are a, few, a couple of weak sisters in the AFC. The Texans are one of them. I'll take uh, the Chargers to be three and one after four weeks. Week five, they travel to First Energy Stadium to take on the Cleveland Browns to the Dog Pound again. I don't. We don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson. We. I anticipate that there will be a long, at minimum, eight game suspension. So I will take again the Chargers in Week five to get off to a quick start to be four and one uh, with a win over Cleveland. Week six, they host the Broncos. Um. On a Monday night game, I like the Broncos in this game. Um, I like the Broncos in this game. I think that division was that the AFC West is going to be brutal. Uh, these are getting two teams with different rosters. Um, six weeks is enough time that the Broncos will be will will have settled into who they are as a team. So I like the Broncos. That would drop the Chargers to four and two on the season. Week seven, they host. Seattle, again, I don't know what Seattle's going to be this year. I don't like Seattle at all this year, so I'll take I'll take the Chargers to take on to take out Seattle as in a home game uh, to take their record to five and two. I'm not again. I'm not high on Seattle at all. Uh, all things you know, considering you know the the amount of changes and we we I mean we talked repeatedly with Rob Sepp about this on this podcast about. 
I just think that it's time to see how to move on from that, you know, the Pete Carroll, Snyder, that whole regime. But, you know, that's their problem. Week eight is a bye week. We go to week nine at Atlanta. Again, I think Atlanta is going to be one of the worst teams in the in the, in the conference. Uh, they'll, even though that's on the road, I like uh, the Chargers in that game for a win. So, so we have them uh, for a win in week nine. Week 10 at 49ers. Uh, on a Sunday night, again, I don't know what the 49ers are going to look at. They have a nice roster. Who knows what the quarterback situation is going to be? I just don't know. If there's a question about your quarterback situation, then l- let me take the team that has no questions about their quarterback situation in terms of Justin Herbert. So I'll, I'll take them in week 10 to take out the 49ers on the road. Week 11, I like them. I don't think San, I don't think Kansas City will sweep them. I like them uh, at home against Kansas City to avenge a uh, earlier or a September loss that I got on, that I have them uh, projected to lose. So they even that they get the split from Kansas City and win that game. Week 12 at Car- at the Cardinals again. Cardinals are one of these teams that can go in either direction. We know they have some talent, but again. Uh, we didn't like how their season ended, especially with the playoff game. It's off season, they have I haven't liked what I've been hearing in, in the off season. Who knows what the Cardinals are going to be? Um, I like the, uh, I'll take the Chargers in this game, even though it will be on the road. Week thirteen, I have them losing against the Raiders. I don't see them sweeping the Raiders, considering how tough that division is going to be, especially in Vegas. Week fourteen, tough game against my against my improved Miami team. But again, I like them in that game as we head towards the sh- down the stretch. So that's on my birthday, December 11th. Um, week on a Sunday, you know, on a week 14. Week 15, the Titans, should, which should be a very interesting game. Again, I don't know what to make of the Titans. I think Titans will be solid, but I don't think I think they're coming down a notch. I'll take I'll take the Chargers in that game as well at home. Week 16, I think this will be a loss, a loss in terms of uh, I think this is a schedule loss, to be honest with you. I think the Colts uh, can be a physical team. Again, I'm not going crazy over Matt Ryan being a quarterback, but the Colts have a very good talent, a talented roster, especially on at the line of scrimmage. We know how co- the co- how good the offensive line is and how good the defensive line is on, on how good their defensive line is. So I like the Colts in that game. Week 17 against the Rams um, at, well, that's a, the home game for both teams. I had them winning that game, uh, which should be, a very, should be a very entertaining game with those two offenses going back and forth. And week 18 against the Broncos, I don't think the Broncos, I actually have them, I actually might want to switch that up. Do I have them, well, no, I no. I had them losing the Broncos. Yo, they will, yeah, they'll win this game because I had the. I don't think the Broncos will sweep them, so I had them winning this game. So, listen, I'm high on this team. I had them at 13 and four, which will definitely be one of the best records in 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 the in the league. You know, if they go 13 and four, they have a chance to get home field advantage uh, without question. That rock, they have one of the best rosters in the in the whole in the entire NFL. Period. They have one of the best young quarterbacks in the entire NFL. It is a matter of co- uh, of coaching. We know that the coach can try to outsmart the game at times. We're going for twos and doing just stuff that quirky stuff that gets you beat. He is on the clock. 
the Sean Payton shadow is looming big time in the NFL this year. There are some coaches whose you know asses are going to be a little tight, knowing that they cannot afford to have forget about bad seasons, but even see even non even seasons where they make the playoffs and you get put out in the first round that can get you fired and for Sean Payton. Like I think realistically, the Chargers have to get minimum minimum. I, I think to the AFC Championship, maybe even to the Super Bowl, because you have Sean. You know, the idea of Sean Payton with Justin Herbert for the next, you know, five to eight years would be is is should be scary for for the AFC for the rest of the league. That could be a possibility. So, I think you know the coach is going to be on the hot seat um, this year. I do think they'll be improved um, this year because Herbert will take a will take a step up. The roster's improved, gotten better defensively. I like what they did in the draft. This is a this is one of the most talented teams in football. Period. Don't get it twisted. This team's going to win a lot of games. Maybe I'm maybe thirteen is a, is a bit high, but I I definitely I definitely see twelve. I definitely think they will get twelve. I confidently with confidence say that they're going to win twelve games. I have them at thirteen. Um, but uh, that that team is a that team is a loaded team. Now, again, I understand. You know, we had expectations for Kansas for Sandy for the Chargers in the past, and we know the Chargers have had talent. But again, they've never they have not had a quarterback like this. Okay, Philip, this guy is better than Philip Rivers. Period. Period. This is this is a gen this is a generational talent, a franchise guy. Without question, so the, that's a game changer to me. Um, they could win the Super Bowl. I wouldn't pick them to win the Super Bowl, but if you if you talked if you told me February twenty twenty three that the that the Los Angeles Chargers are holding the Super Bowl trophy, would not be surprised whatsoever. We're gonna add it. We added a new segment to our summer podcast edition. Uh, of course, this is the anniversary of the twentieth anniversary of the Wire. Uh, of course, came out in two thousand two. I'm, I'm in the midst of rewatching the entire uh, the entire series. I'm in season four right now, about five episodes into season four. A um, couple of things. I'm not even gonna get into season four because I'm still in the midst of it uh, of the rewatch. But a couple of things I've noticed through the first three seasons I've rewatched again for the the on team time. The Stringer Avon dynamic really like it. You know, we look at season three when everything came apart. You can look at the last episode. You can even look at season two when they really started showing philosophical differences in terms of what they believed in. And, you know, Stringer wanted to go, go with Prop Joe, Avon hesitant to give up a tower and, and what have you. This thing, their split really started in season one. Um, you go back to after Avon is shot at by Omar and almost killed. Weebe saves him. Shoot, Weebe shoots uh, Omar in the shoulder when he you know coming back from the diner, or whatever from the restaurant, uh, from the diner to pick up you know burgers and cheese fries. Um, you see Stringer say, "Hey, I'm going to." You know, basically, you know, build a wall. We got to build a wall around you, B. So give me up, give me that pager. 
all these local cats, you know, got to get with me. Your, you know, your sister's going to handle the money. I'm going to handle the product. So anybody that needed to get in contact with, with Avon had to go through Stringer. Now, you look at that when it first comes out, you say, hey, damn, that's a, that's a great number two. Stringer looking out for Avon's best interest, which he probably was. He told Avon, he gave Avon some good advice on how to deal with Omar, told him not to go head to head, and it almost got Avon killed. So that actually was good advice. And, you know, Avon admitted to it being good advice after almost having his head blown off. Um, but the bottom line is Stringer doing that really created a kind of was the start of his ascension to the top of the Barksdale empire when you think of it. Because now if you're, you know, drug guys from all over the country or from, if you are connect from New York, you're not going, you're not talking to Avon, you're talking to Stringer. Talking to Stringer. So that was something that at a, on the re, on the rewatch that I noticed noticed as well. Uh, really, really stood out. Um, also, uh, the Barksdale money trail with Clay Davis. How that did not lead to them knowing that the towers were coming down in season three. Like despite the the political connects that they have. The Clay, Day, Clay Davis connection, they didn't have the foresight to know that those towers were coming down. And probably, you know, if you if you have those kind of political connects, you have a money trail where you have state senators, you know, drivers driving out your, you know, taking $20,000 of drug money out the towers. You probably should know. And, and the angle of they were you know involved with the real estate and flipping and trying and buying up all these properties you probably should have known and this is what and this is and, and this is how the brilliance of the show the buying of properties as fronts bnb the, the, the you know the uh, some of the fronts that the the, the you know the uh, the strip club the different properties that they were buying the funeral parlor all these properties they were buying that's that's well and good, but they it to me you know that that showed that you know they Avon never was interested in it, but Stringer really didn't know what the hell we he didn't know what the hell he was doing from that standpoint. The print shop stuff, so like you know these fronts that they had, yeah, they could launder money, flip money, and stuff like that. They be you know Stringer becomes the bank in season three, what what have you when they you know an episode that you know in this particular episode where they. Where Lester and McNulty say he became the bank, he so insulated that he doesn't get near a package. That's all well and good, but again, having those kind of contacts, you gotta know that those towers are coming down and being able to prepare and see for the future. That was a a flaw that I thought about uh, with the rewatch. So we will for the next couple of weeks. Um, go through some ref- again, some wire at twenty reflections, especially as my rewatch uh continues over the course of this uh over the course. I should probably be, I'll be done before the summer's out. The way I'm the way I'm going, um, in terms of the, the rewatch, so I'm in season four right now. Of course, it only went five seasons. So again, to the greatest show of all time, without question, uh, we'll be continuously be talking about uh. I've been look, looking back at the show and looking back at some things that I noticed 
on a 20th rewatch that I didn't notice in the temp uh, on a uh, temp rewatch. To the lost, uh, we lost two Hollywood, um, lost two Hollywood actors, two actors in the last week, uh, James Kahn and Tony Sirico. Um, I'm going to deal with Tony Sirico first because I got a lot on James Kahn. Um, Tony Sirico, of course, played Pauly Walnuts on The Sopranos, of course, considered one of the greatest shows of all time. It is one of the greatest shows of all time, really set off the golden era of television in 1999. Um, first of all, uh, 79 years old, um, he, before he made the, I did not realize how many, how much stuff he had been in even before the Sopranos, like Sopranos came out in 1999, January of 99. He had been acting for about 25 to 30 years, even before that, even before that was made, uh, I bounced around and it was in a number of things that I didn't even notice. Um, him being in, whether it be, you know, Goodfellas, uh, a couple of my, you know, Gotti, he was, a, he was a bunch of stuff, but mostly mob stuff. He, unlike James Kahn, uh, Sirico never got away from the mob type roles, those type of roles. He really he never, that, that was his lane. We saw that with, even with Frank, with, with Frank Benson, who recently passed away a couple of years, a few years back. Like some of those guys just, that's just their lane and they're, they're comfortable with being that lane. They, you know, listen, it pays the bills and they love the roles and that, that is what it is. Um, he was probably my third favorite character off the Sopranos. Like Tony was Tony. I love June, the character of junior junior. Paulie Walnut Spire was my third favorite character. Really my second. Cause I, Tony was on his own level. He Tony's in every scene. It was Tony's show in essence, but junior, and Paulie Walnuts. Everything that that you know he's in, the one-liners, the the amount of just the amount of insecurity that he had, it, it, he was just I mean, just the comedic timing was just brilliant. I mean, it really was like you know I'm I'm going to rewatch the Sopranos now. Now probably I'm, I haven't rewatched the Sopranos in a long time, to be honest with you, but. Probably going to have to rewatch it again, but he again that comedic timing uh, between he and say with, with him and when they would do those group scenes together would be him and Tony and uh, and and, uh, and and Chris and those you know they had those meetings in the bada bing in, in the back were just were were priceless. Those scenes with, with those crew scenes uh, with you know Paulie Jr. you know little Paulie. And what have you? Uh, those are priceless scenes. And he, every and again, I'm sure he probably wasn't in a lot of scenes because there was the Sopranos has so many characters, so many characters over the course of of, of, of the of the six se- of the six seasons, six plus seasons. Uh, he probably wasn't in that many scenes, but when he was in the scene, he made it count. He made it count. Period. And well, again, you look at this IMB, IMB, IMDb. If I pronounce that right, it's mostly mafia. <laughs> he did. He did no. He also did a number. Listen, he was a he was a working actor's actor. He did a number of voiceover things of that nature, but most of the stuff is mafia related. Like one of the like eighty percent of his stuff, his work is is, is mob related. Some type of so that was the lane that he was in. He was comfortable with being in that lane, and again that 
he was a part of the, I think the best episode written uh, ever in Sopranos history in Pine Barrens. That episode with him and Christopher were stuck in the woods uh, with the Russian and not knowing the Russian was still alive. They that you know they have no food. The the car you know the 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 band whatever whatever it is breaks down and like they they literally stuck out there for almost twenty four hours, almost froze to death. And they like that. That was like that. That to me to this day, I think that's the best Sopranos episode ever. In my opinion, uh, definitely top five. Um, so, and he, I, again, his his comedic timing. He would say stuff was not was not a, the character was not smart at all. <laughs> he was not smart. He was not smart at all. As a, like he knew the you know he knew the basic mafia principles, but as far as thinking down, like you know that whole the, the whole deal when he was trying to not betray Tony, but he was feeding New York information. He thought New York was, uh, you know, he thought New York was more friendly friendly with him than he actually believed. And then they flipped on him, turned on him, basically, a little, or Carmine Sr. basically showed him his backhand and then he runs back to Tony. In essence, that, that was hilarious. But he just, cause he wasn't, he just wasn't that smart. Um, but the character was hilarious. Uh, definitely. And Tony Sirico, 79 years old. Uh, definitely had one of the more memorable characters in television history, in, in the Sopranos history. I shouldn't say television history, in Sopranos history, uh, as Paulie Walnuts. Walnuts. As far as James Kahn, um, James Kahn, who was, uh, I think, 82 uh, when he passed away last week, James Kahn was just a phenomenal actor. Um, I looked at his work minus The Godfather. Now, James Kahn, in contrast to Sirico, did not want to be did not want to be uh connected to mob movies his entire career he went out of his way matter of fact he said it he only made like two mob movies out of like six out of like the 60 roles that he was in uh like he, he did not he was not in a lot of mob stuff outside the godfather that was it i mean really i think the guy if you look at his really the godfather might have been it as far as pure mob movies that he was in, he just that—that that was something that he made a conscious effort, because conscious effort to to get away from. Because the bottom line is, once you do the Godfather, there's only like you as a, you do the Godfather, there's no turning back. Like the Godfather is going to be even at the time, he had to know those actors had to know that they were going that they were not going to top the Godfather as far as a mafia movie. You not you were not making another mafia mafia movie that was going to be on par with the Godfather. It just was not not going to happen. So it actually was smart for him to kind of uh, get away from that genre and and go do his own thing. He so again his record. If I if you take out the Godfather, he still has like a ridiculous uh, resume. Uh, resume when you look at you know movies like. Uh, you know he's in Way of the Gun, Flesh and Bone, a uh, number there's a number of movies that that he of course Thief, which was a classic. Uh, he was in Elf later on in his career. In, in, with, uh, he was in of course Elf, um, just of course Brian's song, um, just just a phenomenal, just ridiculous career. Here's the thing that jumped out to me when I did doing some research about James Conn. The roles that he turned down probably without question exceeded the roles that he actually played in. Here, here, are the, here are the roles that he turned down. 
One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Apocalypse Now, French Connection, Love Story, Superman, Kramer versus Kramer. Those, if you look on an AFI list of top 100 movies in the 20th century, I guarantee you all those films will be on that list. Again, I promise you. And these were not bit parts. Like, these were the starring roles. These are like the, the Kramer versus Kramer. That was a Dustin Hoffman role. Superman, that was a Christopher Reeve role. French Connection, that was the Gene Hackman role. Close Encounters of a Third Kind, that was the Richard Dreyfus role. Now, the only role that was a bit part, that was a supporting role, was, was the uh, Apocalypse Now. That was the Harrison Ford, the Harrison Ford role, which, I mean, again, just to be a part of that movie was a big deal. That's one of considered one of the greatest movies of all time, Apocalypse Now. The Marlon Brando, Martin Sheen, you know, a young Lawrence Fishburne, if you remember. I think that might have been Lawrence Fishburne's first movie, I believe. Uh, I think it came out in 79, 78, 79. Um, just a classic classic movie. So, and of course, the, you know, the stories behind it were mostly were, were money related. Like he won a percentage of certain movies. Uh, you know, he won the percentage of third of uh, encounters of a third kind. One of one of the piece of the gate. Um, didn't like. Um, didn't want to wear the Superman costume, so that was you know you know he just didn't have you know didn't wasn't interested in that, and really didn't like the plot to Kramer versus Kramer. Didn't think you know. So he, I mean, he but he did make a mistake. He did admit to making a mistake in turning down um, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. He made, he admitted to making a mistake about that, but he said he did not want to be in four walls. Um, said that would drive him crazy. Um, but that he said he had later admitted to probably he had later admitted to making a mistake of turning down that role. But think about think about the roles that he turned down. Like that is that is a who's who's list of movies, and think about the actors who got those roles. We're talking Dustin Hoffman. You're talking again. You're talking uh, Harrison Ford. We're talking, you know, Jack Nicholson. You are talking icons. So you know this guy, James Con. This guy was a, he was a big time actor. That's all his story. Um, I still, you know, loved again the Sunny. He and um, some of his underrated movies. Flesh and Bone was underrated. I thought he was. I actually thought he was good in Eraser. As a, he's a good bad guy. He was an excellent, excellent bad guy. I liked him as a bad as a bad guy even later in his career. I liked him in a in a racer. Flesh and Bone was just he was to go watch that movie. It was I think Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan in that. Maybe it wasn't Meg Ryan. No, Dennis Quaid and um I think Gwyneth Paltrow. I think that was that one. Then that definitely Dennis Quaid. That that movie was Flesh and Bone. Go go watch that movie sometimes. That was one of his very underrated movies. Of course, Way of the Gun, The Bag Man. Uh, just you know, just say how that, uh, just a just ridiculous career. Um, again, had a share of ups and downs. Uh, with the drug use, he had went through some depression. After he said went through some depression when this, you know, after his sister, you know, his sister died. Talked about it didn't work. You know, didn't work for a number of years. Um, but still, both of these guys were still working up to this up to their death. In essence, like they also, you'll see some stuff. With um, there'll be some movies coming out next year with both of these with both of these actors, uh, with both of these actors. So certainly, these are these are guys who were a part of two of the most iconic um, 
movies and, and television series of all time. The Godfather is arguably the greatest movie of all time. The Sopranos, arguably the greatest television show of all time. That's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. Enjoy the rest of your week. I will see you next time. So long.